we did sell some of the Vicodin to pay for the funeral. plastic urns and that was michael talking about the overwhelming cost of funerals and some unique ways around them michael is a former high school teacher turned vertical farmer and an avid hiker and camper he also loves watching gilmore girls with his niece and his dog finley and even more exciting than all of that he just got married and spent his honeymoon driving around morocco with a motorcycle and sidecar as a quick note if you hear another voice in this episode that's Brian, a former guest and our very own sound engineer. Let's start with a forward then. Okay. So my dad is also Michael Anthony Langella. He's the first, was a bit of a narcissist, so went and named me after him and <laughs> was very upset when at an older age I told him there would not be a third. Really? Like actually upset? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, wow. Like... What the fuck? What? You don't like your name? Uh, was, he a, was he a Michelangelo also? He was. Or sorry, yeah. was, prior to him, was there a Michelangelo? No. And what's weird is he didn't name me like Junior. He named me the second with the pure intention that there would be a third and a fourth. Like he wanted oh, wow. to set up a franchise. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he was a closeted gay man. Okay. Never came out. But... It was hard for him. Um, I don't think he grew up ever being able to actually even admit that to himself mm -hmm. and caused a lot of rifts in the family. Like my dad and I were estranged from the time I got out of high school till essentially the time he died. We'd talk periodically, once or twice a year, maybe, just to check in. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, angry dude growing up. A lot of that because of the, um, you know, what I think is the closeted homosexuality and the fact that he harbored a lot of self-hate. I, I want to be explicitly clear. Don't care that my dad was homosexual. I'm sad that it made him an angry person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another part that makes this sad is how much I think he thought the divorce was about that. As an aside, after he left home, Michael ended up helping his mother divorce his father. And that he thought that his family, me, my mom, were angry at him for being gay. I just, I feel bad for him. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that then he saw that as another source of shame or thought that's what the cause was. Yeah. But knowing that I could never have a real conversation with him about it where he could even approach that conversation with me in a way that would be healthy for either of us. Yeah. Hmm. I also thought the divorce was about that. The divorce was about him being angry and abusive. Hmm. The closeted homosexuality came about as more of a byproduct of it and discovering that kind of during getting ready for it. Mm. 
Um, but I mean, my dad yelled a lot. He's never physically violent, but threatened it. Um, Interesting. He got in a really bad car accident before I was born. Then moved, he was from the East Coast, moved to California, met my mom. And from that accident, he had a, like a series of back problems, which kind of cascaded into high stress, high anxiety, which were, um, you know, exacerbated by the fact that he could not ever like be his true self. Mm -hmm. And so he had a lot of stomach issues, um, a lot of bleeding ulcers hmm. growing up. Um, by the time he passed away, he had a third of his stomach left and then had probably had multiple feet of his intestines removed at that point, um, just from the amount of ulcers from stress that had developed. And then, wow, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately he died from having a, what was likely a mini heart attack preceded by a stroke. I was in the hospital for a number of days. I was able to actually go in there and see him. Then he died. And that was weird. <laughs> how, did, how did you find that out? Yeah, that's... So my dad had some friends. And um, they were family friends growing up. During the divorce, they obviously split because my dad told them his side of the story and they never talked to my mom or really me again. They still talked to my sister because my sister would still go and see my dad and talk to him pretty frequently. My dad had a stroke, collapsed, went to the hospital, was still responsive for a few days. And then as soon as he started to become unresponsive and a little more catatonic, which was probably about three or four days after the stroke, they finally let my sister and I know. And so by the time I was able to actually get to the hospital to see him, he could no longer speak. Mm -hmm. But he was able to still kind of um, move one of his hands. Then he was able to like, like I could hold his hand and he would grip it, which I don't know. Maybe I tell myself that means something. It could have been nothing. Um, but I was the only one when I talked to him that there would be any sort of response. You know, he wasn't oh, wow. responding to anybody else, but he would grab my hand when I said something to him. But yeah, you know, that was fucking weird. That <laughs> <laughs> those people didn't tell his son or his daughter that he was in the hospital dying until he could no longer talk to them. And then they didn't even tell his family. Like, I had to go call all his brothers and oh, sisters gosh. and my grandpa, who's still alive, oh, and well. tell him all this. Hmm. Oh, gosh. His father? Yeah. Whoa. What are those calls like? Right. Awkward. Um, we're in California. They're back east. Not the most affluent family. Like, no one was going to be able to hop on a plane and get out there. Yeah. And no one, he couldn't talk to any of them. And so yeah. it was a lot of me holding the phone up to my dad's ear so they could talk to him, but there was no response. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you feel obligated to tell them, oh, yeah, his hand moved. 
or like his eyes opened or something when you said that. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. Like, yeah, Bryce, I don't know if this happened to you. I think we had talked about this, but um, what was interesting too with the fact that my mom and my dad were divorced, I was technically his like caregiver or the person who had to make decisions there. And so yep. I get called into the hospital at a point where I hadn't talked to my dad in like a real fashion for years. His friend who had refused to call me and let me know this was happening gets there and then says, okay, I'm going to make you the like legal person for this now. I don't want this obligation anymore. And so then at that point, I'm making medical calls for this man I haven't talked to in yeah. years. I think I obviously made the right decision yeah. when as soon as they took him off life support and took the, um, you know, like the automated breather off him, yeah. he passed away immediately. Yeah. Like it was kind of one of those things where he was already dead. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no final breath. There was no like closing of the curtains or final monologue. It was just, um, yeah, turn the machine off and turn the human off. Damn. What did you feel? I feel like that's got to be quite the cocktail of emotions. Yeah. I mean, I was really angry at my dad growing up. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of found peace with the anger in a way. And just like, it's not productive. Right. Like yeah. my anger toward him is not going to change anything. Yeah. And as an adult, being able to kind of um, step back from it and kind of be able to see his side of the story. Yeah. A little bit more. I don't I don't think it was a place of forgiveness, mm -hmm. but it was a place of understanding. Yeah. And, you know, with that. I was able to have a moment with him before he passed away. I, you know asked everybody to leave the room like I'd like to talk to my dad yeah and um, I was able to say a lot to him in that moment but at the same time you know just like told him I loved him yeah and that I'm sorry his life was what was thrown at him and that sorry we never really got to know each other but yeah, I mean, I think as the, you know, the primary person in this situation, there's not a lot of room to feel for yourself in that moment either. Because, you know, I have to stay put together for the doctors. I have to stay put together for my sister, for, you know, friends who are around in that moment of his. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in a position where people could care for me. Yeah. Mm. I'm familiar with that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is in some ways kind of useful in that bit where it's like, well. Oh, yeah. Got shit to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really helps, like, take whatever you're feeling and, like, put it in a box and kick it under the bed. And you'll deal with it at some point later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you taken that box out from under the bed? I have once. Beyond that, no. It's still there. Yeah. I... I think reality, I am still afraid to deal with it. And I think knowing that taking that box out will be like 
okay, now you do have to kind of come to terms with this one. You're no longer doing the logistics. You're no longer shopping for urns. You're no longer dealing with ornery priests. Mm-hmm. Like this would be me in the ashes in a moment. I cried in the hospital when he died and that was it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I could never get there again. But I think it was more because, like, I had said goodbye to my dad before. When he died was hard. But as we got a little bit further away from that moment, in a weird sense, it kind of normalized to back to how it was. But without the hope of thinking maybe someday I could have an honest conversation with him. Let's talk about how expensive it is to die. Yeah, let's talk about how expensive it is to die. Yeah, so... My dad died very much in debt. Mm. There is nothing left behind to pay for this funeral, but oh. he left behind instructions for a very extravagant funeral. <laughs> Wait, he, he left instructions? He left wishes. There, in, in what form? That's an interesting one. Verbally. Okay. With various people. <laughs> I was really hoping it was like, he, as he was having a stroke, you see like sloppy handwriting left in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's just cursive. (laughs) Um, Like he had specifics on how he wanted the actual procession. Is that what it's called to go? He had like places in mind. And I think he had ideas about flowers, what would like be there. Damn. Things like that. Um, the one thing he was adamant about, and this one's actually like grounded in the world of reality, but um, <clears throat> he wanted to be cremated, hmm. which is great. Yep. Yeah, that's also like weirdly expensive. Oh, yeah. And like without another option, you're not going to be like, you know what? I got my own oven. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? In America, you have those two options. But like, if you want to buy shoes, there are very expensive versions, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there are very like moderately priced versions. All cremation is like in the four to six k range. Mm-hmm. There's no like Johnny's backyard barbecue also <laughs> serving up bodies. Yeah, <laughs> there's no cheap version of it. Yeah, in the same way that like universal healthcare should be a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that should cover the costs. Yeah. Oh. Of all of this. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. I 100% agree with you on that one. That was a thought I had going through this whole experience. Like, why am I paying so much for all of this? It's and a racket. I, mm-hmm. How is some of this not covered by taxes in one way or another? So you had to end up, you ended up paying for everything. I told those who were close to him and his family that I was a teacher and I had no money. And that he left behind something like twenty to thirty thousand dollars of debt, and there was nothing in his estate of value mm-hmm. that I could sell to pay for this. Yeah, you know, luckily, uh, a lot of people did step up and helped pay for some of these things. 
what is that process like? Like when a person leaves twenty grand behind. Yeah. But in, in the, the other red, direction. In the red, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. so like whoever the fuck Merrill Lynch is like holding a dead person accountable and whoever comes to that happens. So I think one of the crystallizing moments for me on how weird our society's approach to death is mm-hmm. was me canceling my dad's credit card after he died. Damn. I was on the phone with these like harpies for an hour. People are really hawking this man's son for his debts. Yeah, but it was even worse than that because I try to approach it like they're my friend. So I called them saying, hey, somebody got to go. My dad died. This is his account. Where can I send a death certificate to you to prove that he is dead and cancel out this card? Mm -hmm. They then proceeded for the next hour to try to trick me into giving them my information so they could transfer his debt to me. (laughs) Jesus. Yo. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was very much like, oh, I'm Mm -mm. sorry your dad Mm -mm. died. What's your address so we can send you his account? That's fucking grimy. Yeah. Oh, Oh, it was insane. I'm usually pretty polite to telemarketers. (laughs) You know, like, nobody nobody grew up thinking, that's what I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) They're probably having a worse day than you are. Mm -hmm. Let's be nice. Not that day. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) these people, you chose this job. Yeah, man. You did this. And um, I had some words for them. But it was, it's just an insane thing where it's like at a certain point in the conversation, they're telling me about all the benefits they have on the card he had. And that so as long insane. as I can like give them the information so they can transfer it to me, I can get all those benefits. You can get 2x points on gas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also, sorry, your dad died. But check it out. But he don't want you to take a road trip where you can get 2x points on gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know, how about that, like, $10,000 coffin your dad deserves? You could get that on this card if you oh, give us your information. Are you being funny or they said that? They did not say that one. Oh, okay. That one I'm being funny. All right, on. all right. But it was, I don't know. It was like, I just, I couldn't believe it. It was such a surreal conversation to have where you could tell they wanted to be human. Like, the person on the other end of this call had a mom and dad. Yeah. But their job was to get me, who just lost my dad maybe four days ago, to take over 20K in debt. For the perks of a credit card. For the perks of a credit card. That's disgusting. Yeah. So you got out of... You were able to push that back onto the credit card companies. Yeah. But the only reason I was able to was because I gave them no information about myself. Wow. Like that whole hour-long conversation was them trying to get something out of me. Yeah. But the other part I didn't realize is like a coffin's like a wedding dress. Yeah. You know? You see it once. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't realized it, but going into a funeral parlor where they sell coffins and urns, is a very similar experience when you go into the grocery store where they put the milk in the back and you have to walk past everything to get to it. Oh. Yeah, you walk in, you're going to see beautiful casket, hand-carved gargoyles on the side. I don't know. (laughs) And they're going to keep, you're going to see like gold-plated urns 
in there and they're going to walk you back while talking about how nice these things are. And the place I went had literally different rooms where it was stepped oh. down in prices. Oh, gosh. The room itself? Yeah, the rooms were like, like the first room, Cadillacs. Second room, you know, you might have like an Acura. Third room, you got, a you got your fucking Saturn. Yeah. Fourth room, you got your 1999 Honda Civic. <laughs> <laughs> but they're coffins. And you're grieving at this point. And they're trying to upsell you. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, this one's really plush. Look at these beautiful silk lining. It's very cushioned. And the cushioned. Whole, yeah, the whole time in my head, I'm like, he, he, who, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking cushioned. Yeah, you, <gasps> you know he's dead, right? Like, this isn't a bed. <laughs> How dare you talk to me about a fucking cushion right mm-hmm. now? It's like your kid's race car bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be a fucking cool coffin. Yeah, that would. So here's the other thing. You're getting a tour of this place. Their offices are after all of this. Oh, gosh. So like even to sit down with the funeral home, you have to go through the sales floor. And I'm going through this thing knowing I'm going to get the free option if that's a cardboard box. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of it, we finally get there. And the last thing they show you is just this black plastic box. And it's a plastic urn. And they tell you, you know, if you don't want anything else we're offering, we'll put his ashes in there. And I said, looks great. Did it come in a velvet bag? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when my grandma passed away, hers came in a velvet bag. Not my dad's. Mm. My mom's did, and it was fucking purple yeah. in a purple box. So it was mm-hmm. like, got my bottle of Crown Royale <laughs> in the form of my mother's ashes. <laughs> That's the saddest fucking they, thing I've ever heard. They also had the spring cremation special when I was there. So they walked huh. me through all the prices, and they're like, Hop no. into the afterlife. Yeah, but, like, but, <laughs> but it normally would be like $5,400. We've got our spring cremation special, so it's only $4,500. As if I was going to be like, oh, man, this is 5,500. A little steep for my blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me your body back. I'm putting it in the Prius. Yep. I'm going to drive across. Like, once you're there, you're not changing teams. <laughs> That's like, true. Like, I, I wouldn't have argued if it was $5,400 or $4,500. Like, just fucking give me a number. Don't, But don't make it seem like I'm getting a deal because she mm-hmm. died two days into the start of spring. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, she died in time for the Toyota thon. <laughs> that is so stank. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, the interesting part with the plastic urn was this was also a then became a source of drama during mm. the actual funeral itself. <laughs> really? Yeah. So one, all his friends who he told I was an asshole son to thought I was further an asshole for putting him in a plastic urn. Wait, they, he told that shitty. Yeah. And then two, the church, uh, Catholic church, he was a part of my whole life growing up. Hmm. I go to talk to the priest to do the actual like funeral service at this church. And the priest says, we can't display his ashes in the plastic urn. <laughs> so you got to buy another one player. Uh, maybe. 
or we got to <laughs> trick the system. <laughs> we, um, this is so fucking ridiculous. We go into his house. He was a hoarder. I'm looking for anything that might look like an urn. How how or, close is this to like start? Are you like hours before like scrambling around, or just a couple <laughs> days? In this is about a day before. Okay. When, like I was so upset about like the priest literally said, "We will not do this here unless you have something nicer than a plastic box." Yeah, would have pissed off God. He has strict high, guidelines, high fucking standards for when he flies you back. <laughs> <laughs> So I find an old jewelry box of his. A wood box, curves on it, some like gold trim on it. There you go. I asked the priest, hey, would this work if I turned it around so you couldn't see the keyhole on it? And the priest says, no, it has a handle. This is obviously not an urn. <laughs> so I go what? home. I unscrew the handle from this box, <laughs> take out the insides, Put my dad in it. Close the lid. Here you put go. a flower on top so you can't see the holes where the handles were. Bring that and say, how about this? And he goes, oh, that's a nice urn. Well done. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Bro. Mm-hmm. And so then during the whole ceremony or service, <laughs> I have to stand in a certain way. To so like people hide, can't see. Yeah, or I keep repositioning <laughs> the flowers to hide the hinges on the lid and the holes in the top <laughs> of it. <laughs> so I don't get fucking kicked out of the church for <laughs> some sacrilegious urn. Priceless, dude. Can you imagine midway? They're like, wait a second. We've seen this box before. Yeah, this had a, It's over. Everyone out. Mm-hmm. Box is no good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, the other part of this, too, is then cleaning out his house with some of those same people. And then did you did you sell the house? Is that what happened there? He was renting. Oh, uh, um, that's annoying. Yeah. So we had a deadline to clear it out by, which was also stressful, especially when some of the people I've talked about earlier who were his friends wanted to help me clear out the house and yeah. we're constantly going through there saying I bet there's secret money somewhere like you know Michael was always able to pay, pay for stuff and buy us things and I kept telling him that's because he had massive debt on his credit cards and they said no that can't be true and so then it became these Crazy, just long discussions of going through his bank statements and financial work with random people who have no fucking business being a part of it just to prove Jesus that I was right. And because then they were also saying, oh, you're going to need all this information to do his taxes for him. And I was like, "Uh, there's not going to be that much on the taxes. He doesn't own anything. And they... (laughs) They're like pulling up floorboards, being like, "I bet the money's under this one." No, honestly, it was it was a weird situation. There were multiple times where myself and this one woman who was his friend, she kept trying to hide financial paperwork from me while cleaning out the house because 
she thought I was either going to mismanagement or that I would find his secret money and that she didn't want me to have it. I would have lost my mind many times over. Yeah. Well, this woman also helped me pay for the funeral, so I was trying to be a bit of a diplomat in this situation, but it was it was a surreal experience. It was what are you? Some sort of pirate? <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> let's go back to coffins. Um, <laughs> you know, those like Rubbermaid tubs, they're probably 55 gallon tubs or something, but they look like a coffin. Yeah. He had 12 of those full of just Christmas decorations. Damn. You don't? <laughs> I mean, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just one holiday. Out of many in a year. Oh, my gosh. Out of Uh, many in a year. The last thing I expected us to get to was the fact that he was a festive person. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see that coming. Yeah, that's a curveball to me, too. He had a a Hallmark account. He was like, I don't even know if people know this or not, but Hallmark has stores Mm -hmm. where you can get different membership levels the more you spend there. And that $20,000 in debt I was talking about this man had a platinum membership where they had flown him out to a Hallmark-like factory so he could get a tour of it watching them make stuff. You're joking. Nope. Wow. He would also – he would volunteer at Hallmark during the Christmas season to help the people there, like, explain their different nativity scenes or whatever else to people. Wow. Yeah. What else did we find in that house? He had a massive Wizard of Oz collection. Um, he, do you remember when, I think it was in the 90s, they had those giant painted cows they put up all over the country? Yes. There were definitely cows per each, like, metropolitan area. Okay. And then that sp- spun off into all sorts of things. So, I mean, he had superhero cows. He had, I don't know, like Star Trek cows or something. He also had a massive Star Trek collection. Um, and he had all these cows, obviously Wizard of Oz ones also. <laughs> and my sister and I didn't know what to do with them. How big were they? Yes. Thank you, Bryce. That's okay. exactly what I was thinking. Like probably the length of a water bottle. And okay. then uh, not as high, maybe like three quarters of it high. Got it. It's like relatively petite. Yeah, I mean, like, you're not putting it in your pocket, but you (laughs) might be able to steal it from a store with a backpack, but not a purse. Okay. Okay, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit too much uh, precision on that one. You know, we're going to roll right by that one. What kind of backpack are we talking? (laughs) A Jansport. (laughs) Yeah, leather bottom, black top. (laughs) They want to have a coat on the bottom to make sure there are no bulges. Yeah. Um, so these cows, <laughs> yes, my sister and I don't know what to do with them. And my sister has a stroke of genius because my dad has so much shit in that house. We can't even donate it. And she goes, what if we use the towels or the cows as centerpieces on the tables at that like morbid pancake breakfast we had after <laughs> the ceremony? <laughs> and then people could take those home as a, 
token of remembrance. <laughs> yeah, you get rid of them. We did. And nice. people loved it. I Nicely done. Yeah. Yeah, well played. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with it? <laughs> uh, it's a nice, like, physical tchotchke token. My dad had a lot of pipes that we've given away. Interesting. Okay. Pipes like like tobacco pipes? Yeah. Like like thousands of dollars worth mm. of tobacco pipe mm. for no good reason. Like one would have done, maybe two, <laughs> like, like 60 of these things. Yeah. Why do dads like to have collections? Just stupid shit for no reason. What's any any other salient bits in that house? Found his like phone book of you know guys he'd been meeting up with, and then got his phone and like his grinder account was just open, not even password protected. Which I mean, I I should also stay say on this. Good for him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, go get it. Yeah, he was able to live out that part of his life on some level, you know? And I think as angry as he was about the divorce and as jaded as he was about it, I want to believe on some level that did free him up. Some freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's hmm. like something I wish I could talk with him about. Yeah. But also knowing that there wouldn't be a conversation because he couldn't have that conversation with himself. He hadn't done it inside yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I found a medium-sized Home Depot moving box of pills. What? Like? Yeah. It was about 75%, sorry, 25% miscellaneous. The rest of it was split evenly between painkillers and Viagra. <laughs> Again, another left turn that I just didn't see coming, bro. What? Yeah, it's an amazing thing when you clear out, you know, your parents' house. And this is something where, like, you know, we make jokes about how, hey, can you promise to delete my search history when I die? Yeah. But the physical things we leave behind, they tell a different story. I mean, realistically, the dude was a walking pharmacy with the amount of health problems he had. And so (laughs) we did sell some of the Vicodin to pay for the funeral. There you go. Honestly, we're talking like upwards of hundreds of pills. For real. Yeah, maybe thousands. And that's another thing that like compounds it. Like how am I going to have a real conversation with him knowing – that that is his daily existence. I You can't tell me that having that kind of pharmacy doesn't also warp your personality on some level. So kind of a pivot. Like I said at the outset, you know, my dad's a narcissist. And I think church can be dangerous for a narcissist. Mm. And in that, that church had a very captive audience to him going through a divorce and talking uh, about how his son turned against him and was part of this like divorce and how his son was turned by his ex-wife against him. Um, and so with that, you know, this ceremony we did at the church 
there are a lot of people there who he met after the divorce. So oh. they they did not know me prior. What they knew me as was whatever he told them. And whatever he told them was not nice. Mm-hmm. And so at the ceremony itself, the priest did a lot of talking. My sister was not really able to speak. My mom, maybe obviously, didn't want to. Sure. And um, he had representation from his life after the divorce and not a lot before the divorce. Yeah. And I did also feel like I wanted to say something Mm -hmm. at it. But I have never seen anger in people's eyes like I did when I walked up that aisle to the altar at that church and stood up there (laughs) to talk about my dad. Because of the divorce. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It was. Also, to draw another parallel to weddings, (laughs) (laughs) it was split across the room. There was one half who knew my dad Mm. after the divorce and Mm. one half who knew my dad before and a little bit more of like a little more of a totality of who he was instead of this other group who saw what he was projecting out. Yeah. And that room who knew that side of the room who knew him after the divorce was shooting daggers at me with their eyes. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a dick move. Yeah. Be like this kid just lost his dad. He's speaking at his funeral. Mm-hmm. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it was it was also this mix of like this kid doesn't even know his dad. Mm. Which of course, you know, on my end was you don't know my dad. Yeah. And to have to give that speech to both that audience and like my family. Yeah. And our friends, that audience was a really interesting move where I had to kind of play both sides a little bit, but also be very upfront in the beginning, like, hey, I'm Michael. I'm his son. Some of you know me. Some of you think you know me. Ooh. Some slim shady shit. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of tell stories about, like, what I appreciated about my dad growing up and just talk about, you know, people are not inherently 100% evil or 100% good. And so in a lot of ways, you know, I did learn a lot from my dad that I do kind of cherish and think, yeah, that helped make me a better person. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, those lessons came from me trying to not be him. Yeah. But to say that he didn't have a hand in that lesson, though, would be a disservice to him. But also knowing that despite all his flaws, he did love me. Mm -hmm. And so being able to kind of like acknowledge that and thank him in front of that audience was, I think, important for the other side to hear and for my side to hear as well. Because there's a lot of anger on that side. and Yeah. You have to have some sort of grace in death or at least in remembrance. Because dying is sloppy. Yeah. But as you remember a person, it's important you try to focus on the totality of them and give them humanity in death. Yeah. And not focus on flaws or make them overly perfect. 
but just acknowledge them as a person and thank them for being while they were. Thank you so much to Michael, to Brian Patterson for the support, and to Coco Brennan for the music. Get excited for next week, where we talk with Marika, who you may recall from an earlier episode as Sebastian's wife, about her experience with her dad's death and how different it was from Sebastian's experience with his. As always, tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts.